Hey, we're back together again. How's everybody doing? Welcome in. It is a Wednesday. Good to be back. Sorry about the last two days, but a uh, big shout out to Drake Dyken and uh, Josh Helmer for helping us out. Appreciate it. I've been a little bit under the weather. He had, uh, you know, uh, a situation. I'm talking about me that uh, I, I was feeling all right Sunday during the Super Bowl, had a scratchy throat, a little bit of congestion, but I thought, ah, it's not that big a deal. I woke up Monday morning and I could barely, barely swallow. One of those kind of deals. So that's what's been going on. I guess uh, I know we did the home Rona test. It's not Rona, but uh, severe cold, sinus infection. The good news is the, th- the sore throat is uh, pretty much gone, Parker, but... I am still like one of those old carnival freaks right now. That's what I feel like. Step right up and see Mucus Boy. He's 90%, uh, 10% flesh and 90% mucus. He's the most disgusting creature you'll ever see. Step behind the curtain, pay an extra dime, and see Mucus Boy. That's what I feel like. Just disgusting. How is everything? How you doing? Well, apparently I'm doing better than you, Mike. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the road to recovery. I, you know, if I can get rid of this disgusting stage where I don't have to have a thousand Kleenexes around me at all times, I hopefully could be back in the studio tomorrow. That's the plan, hopefully. How many but Kleenexes I'm, have I'm you gone a, through? Oh, a, a, a box and a half, probably. Yeah, uh, see, it's been my, pretty disgusting. My quota when I get sick like that is usually two boxes. It's just, um, you know, it's really weird because you kind of get cold and then you get hot and then, uh, you know, you think, okay, man, everything's dried up. I'm good to go. And then here the faucet turns on again. It's really disgusting. And I know you people want to keep hearing about this, right? This is definitely what you want to keep hearing about is my disgusting uh, illness. But I'm, I'm nearly back and I wanted to be back today. And man, you know what I love? We've got Josh Helmer is a workhorse and he's really good too. Uh, and so is Drake, you know, so we always have somebody, we've got an ace coming out of the bullpen all the time, but I, I don't like to have to go to the bullpen like that. I always feel guilty when I get sick. I always feel like, man, get tougher. What are you playing for Lincoln Riley, a softy? Get in there and play. But uh, it was going to be difficult to talk the previous two days, so that we should have uh, just, yeah, uh, that's required. We should have just sent Schmitty over to your house, pay you a visit. Yeah, yeah. No doubt, he'll toughen you up. Little, There's no little doubt pep about talk that. from him would have would have had you square. Absolutely. So, man, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about the Super Bowl, and that'll be way down the line. We've got other stuff to talk about, and let's start with Oklahoma basketball last night. Man, they fought, they scratched, they clawed. You know, Texas is a more talented team than Oklahoma, but the Sooners still had their chances, and once again, Parker, they couldn't close the deal. I thought it was pretty. Uh, Pretty remarkable they got the game to overtime. But, again, uh, they, they shoot themselves in the foot, skip, uh, foot, giving up offensive rebounds. And, you know, Cortez missing a free throw. Just little things like that. That's what cost you games. But the Sooners, I thought the fight was there. Porter Moser keeps saying you know, there's no quit in this team, and I believe that. I mean, they had a great chance to win at the fog over the weekend, but unfortunately it's another L-80-78, and now the Sooners, they're going to have to win both those home games coming up that they have, of course, with Oklahoma State and West Virginia. And they're going to have to win at least one on the road at Iowa State Saturday. Uh, then they go to Tech at Tuesday. That's going to be the next Tuesday, which is going to be a very difficult proposition. And then the final game, you know, the Sooners and the mystery in Manhattan, where they can't seem to win there, will be the last regular season game. So, again, is Oklahoma dead? No, they aren't. But, uh, you know, they're in intensive care right now, you know. 
They they need. Uh, I don't know if it's a miracle, but Parker, they they put themselves behind the eight ball, and we'll we'll see if they can get out of this mess and get to the tournament. It's bizarre, Mike, because they're fourteen and twelve right now, but they're still a top forty team when you look at the NET rankings. I mean, yeah, and that's weird, what's Im- that's important. Yeah, the weird thing to consider with this team is that it's not often you can look at a team, and you know the the old Bill Parcells mantra, right? Is you are what your record says you are. The Sooners are a way better team than this fourteen and twelve record shows. It's just they get they have gotten so agonizingly close in so many of these basketball games and come out on the losing end. I used the word snake bitten on Monday, and I think it holds true for this basketball team because think about this, and Porter Moser brought it up last night in his postgame press conference. They beat Texas Tech by fifteen last week. And their last couple of contests against Kansas and Texas. They've lost both of those games by two points apiece. I mean, you are splitting hairs right now between Oklahoma and some of the best programs in the country. And, again, uh, they just haven't been able to close the deal. Again, I thought they showed a lot of fight. That was an ugly first half last night. I thought they played a lot better in the second half. But, again, you can't – this team has not come anywhere close to uh, packing their bags for Porter Moser, and that says a lot. They're just playing in a really tough conference. And most nights out, they're not quite as talented as the upper echelon in the Big 12. And, uh, they, you know, they're so inconsistent from three, five of 23 last night. Well, lately, in a lot of these games, consistently not very good. Uh, I thought Harkless obviously played pretty well. Jordan Goldwire had a good game. Mo Gibson had 17. Jalen Hill stepped up, 16 points, six rebounds, four of six from the floor. Uh, Tanner Groves, man, missing in action again. And he actually got, you know, he got pulled in favor of Shagwa uh, last night. And, you know, it's so... It's so bizarre with him. He had 19 in that game against Kansas, and you're thinking, here we go. Tanner Groves is back, man. That's that's a nice effort. And then last night, one of four from the floor, and, uh, you know, in the second half of the game, you didn't see a lot of Tanner Groves. And I, I, guess, I guess you weren't around when we were talking about it yesterday on the air, Mike, but one of the things we were talking about is there seems to be a direct correlation between Tanner Groves being able to put the ball in the bucket and the Sooners' relative success on any given day. And particularly in a game like this, you got to have both Tanner Groves and Yamoja Gibson in the scoring column in a big way, preferably in double digits. And look, the Sooners, that's the thing, and that's why I'm so optimistic about this team, even though they sit at 14 and 12 right now, is because regardless of whether one guy just is in a funk and is off on any given night, the rest of the team's going to scratch and claw and fight their way to try to make it a game nonetheless. And they did that against Kansas despite a zero in the scoring column from Emoji Gibson. And they did it last night against Texas despite the fact that Tanner Groves couldn't find the basket. If this team can put it all together, Mike, they are really dangerous. They haven't put it all together yet. And I don't know. You're you're equal parts optimistic and pessimistic about that when you're this late in the season. Because on the one hand, you're like, okay, now you start wondering, are they ever going to put it together? But you also start to think, well, you know what? They've played some of their best basketball over the last couple of weeks. You want to be playing your best ball the season as you get closer to tournament time. Maybe Oklahoma's on the verge of turning a corner here. Well, you know, you've got to see it. You've got to see it. They've been so close, and you're 26 games into the season now. So you better – you've got five regular season games left. Uh, you've got to make these games count again down the stretch. 
and it starts with winning those home games. If you lose one of those home games, you're you're in big trouble, man. You are the Titanic's going to break apart, and you're you're going down. So you got to beat Oklahoma State. You got to beat West Virginia. Two games you should win at home, and then between the Iowa State game Saturday, uh, and then they also play at Tech next Tuesday, and then they close the regular season at Bramlage against Kansas State. You've got to get it done. You got to win one of those road games too, and you don't want to you know you don't want to take your chances. Uh, in having to win a Big 12 tournament game or two Big 12 tournament games. Could you do it? Yeah, you could. But, um, you know, they, they've got to – got to keep seeing this team making some more plays down the stretch. And, uh, you know, the fight has been great. I mean, we all thought that Kansas game was over Saturday. Finally, you know, okay, Kansas has this. They've got it wrapped up, and the Sooners kept fighting back, and they had a shot in that game. But last night was just uh, kind of the same old story in a lot of these matchups for Oklahoma. Overtime loss to the Longhorns, 80-78 was the final. Let's hear from Porter Moser last night. He, uh, I, I understand, and uh, Parker, I know you saw the press conference, maybe a little, a little bit dejected at the start of the press conference, then got fired up, still talking about this team's will and fight, which we at least did see that again last night. Here's Porter Moser. No, and I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And a lot of times you might hear that and say, eh, you know, I don't know about that. That sounds like coaches speak to me. I think he's, he's telling the truth. They are still fighting. They just haven't been closing. Again, A, always, B, B, C, closing. Alec Baldwin, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing. You can't close them all, but they've got to close more down the stretch to get this done. So uh, how about this uh, – Who's the dude on the floor after the game who called Chris Beard a traitor? I saw our man uh, Eddie Radosevich was uh, kind of not in the middle of it, but he was in the area, obviously, for Sooner Scoop. <laughs> he kind of was like, oh, here we go. Uh, I don't know what Chris Beard said to the guy, but that was interesting right after the game. Very strange. Yeah, bizarre, no doubt. I, I, I understand why everybody's kind of up in Chris Beard's head about this whole ordeal because if I'd been through what he had been through with the Texas Tech fan base earlier this month, I would yeah. probably be over the traitor comments as well. They might be more irate than the Sooner fans, including myself, about uh, Muleshoe. Uh, I mean, they were waiting. It was like he was coming back to the Roman Coliseum when they played in Lubbock. Uh, recently, so and and the difference is Chris Beard is going back to his alma mater, right? I know it stinks because everybody in the league hates Texas and uh, and all their money and all their boosters and all of that stuff and their air against the T Sips, but at least Chris Beard was going back to his alma mater, uh, unlike Mulesu who was going out for you know the glitz and glamour of L.A. and uh, selfish reasons and and wimpy reasons. He didn't want to play in the SEC. Oh, my gosh. Get me out of here. 
That was what he. That's what he was thinking all along. You know that. All right. Thank you to Tim Lasher and Lasher Home Comfort Systems. They've done uh, great work over here at our place, Shea Stadium. They've been over here a couple times, and we had issues, and they fixed them uh, immediately, and they fixed them at a very fair price. Great sooner, great company. Tim Lasher and Lasher Home Comfort Systems. Harry on Winfrey talking about the previous staff. And we'll hear what Bob Stoops has to say about uh, Brent Venables has some critics out there when he hasn't even coached a game yet as the head man at Oklahoma. We'll get into that when we get back.
All right, welcome back, Steelman and Thune, here on a Wednesday. I want to thank again uh, Josh Helmer for helping out and uh, Drake Dyken for helping us out uh, the past two days. Uh, I've been a little bit under the weather, feeling a little bit better, but still very gross. So uh, thank you to both of those guys. I mean, you're, you're talking about bringing in Hall of Fame relievers, right? Like uh, Mariano Rivera, um, I don't know, Goose, Goose Gossage, Lee Smith, who? Well, let's see. We got to think about which bullpens had two Hall of Fame relievers at the same time. That might be difficult. Oh, that would be difficult. Hmm. That would be very difficult. I mean, uh, Goose and uh, Rivera were both the Yankees. I mean, Goose, you know, at, at some point. But uh, that's a really good question. Have there been two in the same pen at the same time? Eh, we'll figure it out. We'll do, we'll Somebody do a little let bit of research. Know. That's what the Air Comfort Solutions text lines for. Parker at 405-651-3439. 405-651-3439. Okay, uh, yesterday you guys were talking a little bit because I, in between my naps and uh, battles with the, the mucus monster, I had a chance to listen to you guys, and you were talking about who is the dude that's saying he's questioning whether Brent Venables is going to be a uh, – we just don't know what's he going to be like as a head coach. Uh, Tom Fornelli. Uh, Fornelli, that's right. Um, and, and I get it. Brent Venables hasn't coached the game. But has there – name me the last coordinator who was disqualified to come in and be a head coach in college football. I mean, can you think of one right off the top of your head that – I mean, I guess you could say Dave Aranda or, or uh, you know, he was great with LSU, but that was about the offense – more than anything else. Um, and, and, look, that defense is really good. And Dave Aranda just got a new deal with Baylor. He's doing a great job. But Brent Venables, you can argue, is maybe the most qualified assistant coach uh, to become a head coach we've had in a long time. I mean, help us out on the on the Air Comfort Solutions text line where I might be missing out no, I here. Mean, but... I've said it before, Mike. I legitimately believe – Brent Venables might be the most qualified first-time head coach in college football history. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And look, in the Sooners' track record with assistant coaches, pretty good. Bud Wilkinson, Barry Switzer, Bob Stoops didn't work out so well with Howard Schnellenberger when they brought in a guy with coaching experience. That ended up being a clown show. And uh, so it's worked out really good for, uh, you know, the Sooners in that situation. No doubt about it. And they've, they've got a track record of hiring really good assistant coaches. No question. So Bob Stoops on the other day on the rush with uh, Teddy and Tyler, uh, he was kind of baffled by that whole thought that, uh, you know, Brent, um, you know, people might even question his credentials or his ability to become a su- successful head coach. And here's what he had to say. Well, that, that doesn't seem to be logical, does it? I mean, surely they're smarter than that. I wasn't a head coach before here. Lincoln Riley wasn't a head coach before he before he took over. Barry Switzer wasn't a head coach when he took over. Just our history here tells you that's, that's foolish to say that, but uh, it doesn't matter what they say. Brent Brent's a damn good coach. Everybody knows it. Uh, his background coming in to take over is light years ahead of what mine was. Lincoln's and about most other people too. Guy's been in eight national championship games. You can go on and on and on. He's ready for this, and uh, and I can't wait to watch it. 
Yeah, and Barry Switzer, again, had a good reputation. And I always think that Barry Switzer, because he's so charismatic and, um, you know, outgoing, that a lot of people overlook what a really good, innovative coordinator he was. He may not have invented the wishbone, but he perfected the wishbone at Oklahoma and saved that coaching staff's jobs. And then they go on to win three national championships under Barry Switzer. I mean, Bud Wilkinson obviously got his three championships. Bob Stoops, all he did was become the winningest coach in Oklahoma history and resurrect the program. So, Parker, the track record, you know, speaks for itself for OU. Now, that doesn't mean that Oklahoma's going to go out and, you know, win three national championships in 10 years for Brent Venables. We know what's coming with the SEC. It's going to be a bumpier road. But what I like is while there might be a little bit of drop off, drop off initially, uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot. But if you're going to sit here and tell me that, yeah, Oklahoma lost all these guys in the NFL and, you know, uh, Dylan Gabe, you know, that it's just going to be, you know, 12-0 and and playing for the conference championship, you know, that's probably out of whack. I think, well, it would be out of whack. Now, they could do it. But I, what we've talked about time after time, Parker, is the direction the program is going in terms of what they want to do, how they want to play football, and where they're going in terms of the conference. I really like this staff. I like what they're about, and I like this staff better than the previous staff. And it's a pretty good staff that Lincoln Riley Muleshoe had. But when you're going to the SEC, I like the way they're they're going about things. Uh, by the way, via the Air Comfort Solutions text line, Mike, one listener says Bruce Souter and Lee Smith overlapped a year for the Cubs in 1980. So that is there you uh, go. Good that call. is Drake Dykin and Josh Helmer. We are the 1980 Chicago Cubs. <laughs> Wait, was that Drake? Was that Drake actually texting in? And- no, it was not. It was a, it was one of our Tulsa area listeners. But no, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's just the fact that it's February now, Mike, and we're having to manufacture takes in order to get through the off season. But all of the national public discourse on Oklahoma football, and particularly on Brent Venables, is so out of line to me. Because again, I've said it before. I don't think it's an unpopular opinion. Brent Venables is the most qualified first-time head coach, maybe in the history of college football, definitely in recent memory across college football. So you hand him a program, there is a lot more trust involved, and there should be a lot more trust in the public eye that a guy like him is going to be able to get this program over the hump, the hump of which they've been residing on the precipice for two decades, and eventually Mm -hmm. take them to a national championship, and particularly – as you prepare for the move to the SEC, there are very few guys. I mean, very few guys. Maybe across the Kirby country. Smart would be the last guy disqualified. Well, what do you think? exactly. And I, what I'm trying to say is there are very few coaches across the entire landscape of college football right now at all that are better prepared and better equipped to lead a program into a transition to the SEC than Brent Venables. Brent Venables is SEC football. That is his style. He is going to bring – when he brings his defense to the SEC, Mike, Oklahoma is going to be a formidable foe for anybody. That includes Alabama. That includes Georgia. That includes a Florida program that I think is going to be back to uh, double-digit wins on a regular basis here soon. Oklahoma's, Oklahoma isn't going to get lost in the shuffle here, nor is Brent Venables going to be in over his head in the SEC, as some have, have suggested. 
Yeah, that that's a major reach, no doubt, if they're saying that. Because, uh, like I said, I, I think the Sooners have bounced back in a great way, a great way, as Bob would say, uh, by how they, you know, responded to this departure from Muleshoe and uh, what happened. Like I said, uh, they actually went up in the recruiting rankings and saved that class. And I think you're seeing, based on the offers and based on uh, the interest level from some of the uh, really good defensive recruits, and, and look, the Sooners are trying to get that done, and they won some battles, uh, not enough, but they're going to win a lot more battles, you know, with these big-time, particularly defensive linemen, uh, you know, I think, with this staff. And that's what they need. That's, that's what they need. They've had some. I mean, this past year, that defensive line was pretty darn good. There's no doubt about it. But you need to have a defensive line like that consistently to be a factor in the SEC. And I think they have a great chance of, of getting lines like that, you know, together to come play at Oklahoma with this staff, with Brent Venables and Todd Bates. Miguel Shave is, you know, he, they've done a great job so far. I'm liking what I'm seeing. All right, we're going to take a quick break right here. Speaking of uh, Sooner defense, Perion Winfrey again, speaking out on the Oklahoma Breakdown podcast to uh, Teddy and Gabe Eichard, talking about the misuse of Sooner defenders last year under the Muleshoe administration, which will go down as one of the most egregiously slimy administrations of all time because of the man at the top, Muleshoe himself. We'll get to that when we get back.
Ah, yes, there you go, George Thorogood and the Destroyers, former minor, uh, minor league baseball player, um, turned rock star. And uh, that's a good lead-in to uh, Perry on Winfrey because, man, he was bad to the bone in Mobile, there's no doubt. He was the MVP at the Senior Bowl, and he was on uh, with Teddy and Gabe Eichert on the Oklahoma Breakdown podcast the other day and basically said that the uh, the defensive players, Parker Thune, were – misused last year, and uh, also that Nick Benito should have been screaming off the edge all year long. (laughs) Josh Helmer filled me in. He also said the coaches didn't use him or the defensive players right, that the team was frustrated by it, and that it was part of the reason they had multiple games where they had a stretch without a sack, which, if you think about it, is absolutely incredulous that that defensive line didn't get a sack. Yes, over uh, that kind of stretch. Yes, so we have Drake Dyken working right now to try and get a sanitized cut to play on the air from the Oklahoma Breakdown podcast. The issue therein is that they can say words on the Oklahoma Breakdown that we cannot say across the Ref Sports Radio Network. So yes, that is why we're not. Beep. That is what. That is why we're not <laughs> hearing directly from Perry on Winfrey right now. But regardless, I, I it just kind of confirms what we all figured was the case. Right, which is that not only were they being misused, but they were quite upset about it, and there was a lot of discontentment behind the scenes from that defensive line, particularly Perry on Winfrey and Nick Benito, as to how that usage was occurring. And look, Perry on Winfrey is exactly right. Nick Benito shouldn't be doing anything except just straight rushing the passer off the edge. He's literally the best in college football at pass rushing. And when he's stunting 20, 25 times a game, he's not going to be able to get after the quarterback as effectively as if you just send him, quote, screaming off the edge, unquote. But, yeah, it just kind of echoes the frustrations that we had all throughout the season about this Oklahoma defense, right? This scheme, particularly up front, and the fact that they arguably had their most talented defensive line top to bottom in close to two decades – and couldn't do anything with it. Yeah, it's uh, there were such high hopes for the defense, and we we saw moments where they they played like people expected they were going to play, but we didn't see it enough. They were way too inconsistent. And what did we hear? Also, by the way, I'm going with Will Anderson as the uh, the greatest rush guy this year. Benito's pretty good, but uh, I'm not going to take him over Will Anderson. From Bama. But what about, uh, you know, we heard earlier in the year that there was a, a, a big players meeting that was apparently with uh, called by the defensive players, and we had also heard that those guys felt like they weren't getting enough snaps either. It was very bizarre, the whole deal. Yeah, and you could understand, right, why a guy like Ethan Downs would be rotating in because Ethan Downs proved he has a really, really bright future at the University of Oklahoma. But – when Perrion Winfrey is rotating out for the likes of Corey Roberson, Leron Stokes, Josh Ellison, Jordan Kelly, look, nothing against those guys. They're mm-hmm. not Perrion Winfrey. Nobody right. is. So I understand Perrion Winfrey's frustration if he is rotating out in favor of players that are not nearly as talented as him when he feels like, look, I'm the horse. They ought to let me ride. 
Yeah, and, and look, we're in an age of specialization in all sports. And, um, you know, when it comes to analytics and everything, and I understand you want to get some other guys some snaps. Number one, you want to keep them happy. Number one, it's, number two, you want to have your, your best guys, you know, in the fourth quarter being as fresh as they can possibly be. Well, maybe part of that was Benny Wiley's, you know, uh, Peloton workouts or whatever, the kettlebells that they had going. And Jerry Schmidt's a real man. And that could be changing for the Sooners now. Um, and that's partly facetious, but I do think they're going to be tougher, and I do think they're going to be in better shape. I just think they are. But I don't know. It, uh, back in my day, Parker, you know what? The best players play just about every single snap. I didn't see, like, Daryl Hunt and George Cumbie rotating out a lot. I didn't see... Brian Bosworth or Paul Miliazzo on the 85 championship team rotating out a lot. Yes, Dante Jones, uh, you know, when he came in with injuries and whatever, played great, was a great player in his own right. There's no doubt. But those guys weren't rotating out a bunch. I don't know. It's Maybe that's just the modern-day college football. But uh, that defense was way, into, way too inconsistent, and they had, you know, the talent to be a lot better defensively and how many times again and again did we see them give up a big third down which was so frustrating um you know to see you you always feel good man third and long right great job on the first two downs we got them in third and long and then there's a third and 12 that's converted or a third and 15 that's converted it just uh i don't know i think alex grinch did some things that made the defense better but this past year I was expecting a little more from a varsity letterman, and I'm talking about Alex Grinch and that defense. It's it's kind of frustrating because, you know, the armchair coaches, Mike, they always have their opinions. But it wasn't difficult at certain points. I remember that Baylor game especially. For you to just sit there and watch the game and watch what unfolded on third and long, for instance, and think in the moment, then six seconds later when the play's over, think all the more so – why are they doing any why aren't they doing anything but that? Why was that the play design? Why was that the scheme on defense in that particular situation? And for the vast majority of the season, Alex Grinch was under heavy fire for the way that he was coordinating that defense and deservedly so. Uh, I don't know if we <laughs> I don't know if we paid enough attention in the moment as to how much, how often the Sooners were rotating out, particularly up front, and how detrimental that was to the Sooners' ability to rush the passer. Because what did we hear Brent Venables say a couple weeks ago after National Signing Day, Mike? You can't hide weakness up front. So when you have, when you have a legitimate strength up front, when the most talented players on your defense, when your most talented position group is the defensive line, man, leverage that to your advantage. Because when you're rushing the passer effectively, when you're defending the run effectively, it makes the job so much easier for your linebackers, for your secondary. And at that point, you have the type of defense that is probably going to end up top 15, top 20 nationally when all the metrics are tabulated at the end of the year. Because there's so much that having a consistent front four and consistent play from that front four can do for a defense. That's one of the reasons why Brent Venables' defenses are perennially the strongest. Brent Venables never has slouches up front. And I'm not saying Alex Grinch did, but Brent Venables knows how to manage his defensive line. 
Alex Grinch struggled with that. And I know Alex Grinch is a secondary guy. So maybe that's a little out of his wheelhouse. I don't know. The point is, the Sooners are in far better hands with Venables coordinating the defense than they were with Grinch. And I think what you're going to see is, if you end up with a talent, the likes of Perrion Winfrey, if Ethan Downs turns out to be that dude, if Isaiah Coe turns out to be that dude, those guys are going to be playing 90-95% of the snaps if they're physically up to it. Yeah, I, I would think the same thing. And I, maybe Alex Grinch was in there with Muleshoe uh, looking at the SC roster half of the season, right? Trying to get that defensive game plan put together. Who are we going to keep? All of that stuff. Because it's all on freaking Muleshoe. Did you see my tweet uh, with the uh, what looked to be Lucifer's <laughs> the devil's shadow? shadow. On yes, Muleshoe's that was iconic. Shirt when he's he's posing with Reggie Bush. See, I got all angry again because he's at the freaking Super Bowl, of course. Oh, this guy. And uh, just seeing that. Okay, so he's, you know, he's arm in arm with Reggie Bush, like they're best buddies now. Um, you know, and uh, so there's a shadow on Muleshoe's shirt. And by the way, he looks way underdressed, as always. Of course. For an event like that. I mean, this guy's a slouch. I wouldn't say, I wonder if he's ever worn anything that has a collar at all. I mean, come on. Anna Wintour would not approve of his fashion sense. So anyway, if I looked at, because he's got the photo with Reggie Bush there at SoFi, and then I looked more closely at it, I said, what the, is that like sweat? What is that, a shadow? And I looked at it, it's like, that could be Lucifer's shadow on Muleshoe's shirt. So that's very creepy. A lot of people thought it was Abraham Lincoln. Some people said Jim character, Jim Carrey's character from uh, Lemony Snickets or whatever the movie was. But I, I, it looks evil to me. I mean, you're talking about the greatest deceiver of all time, having a shadow on a modern-day deceiver in Muleshoe. So I think that you might would be you would have been at. the one person on earth that would have noticed that, Mike. That's the best part about all of it is that <laughs> most people would have looked at that picture, kept scrolling down their Twitter feeds, thought, "Oh, Muleshoe's a jerk. I'm going to go about my day." No, somehow you scrutinized the photo that picture spoke enough. to me, man. Yeah, that, I heard the thing from The Exorcist playing in my head, and I'm like, "All right, something's drawing me to that shadow." <laughs> oh my! So anyway. All right, uh, we do have the Perry on Winfrey sound, so why don't we take a break, and we can play that coming up in the next segment, exactly what he had to say. Pardon my voice today. It's a little bit uh, rusty, and it's not very good anyway, but um, dealing with uh, a major sinus infection, I'm about over it, but hopefully it's not that annoying. All right, Mike Steely, Parker Thune with you here on this Wednesday edition of Steelman and Thune at noon. Welcome to anybody out there who is ready to text us because we're going to text also a lot of them at the top of the hour, 405-651-3439, Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. Thank you again to last year Home Comfort Systems for sponsoring our first hour, and we're coming right back.
Oh, Parker's Creative Bumpers. Roll on, ladies and gentlemen. Always a message. Always well done. By the way, River of Romance promotional uh, giveaway happening at Riverwind Casino. Ladies and gentlemen, a winning organization where you can win a bunch of jackpots and a bunch of cash and bonus play at Riverwind this Friday night. Be there from 6 to 11.30 when they'll draw out three patrons' names every half hour in the uh, River of Romance giveaway, Friday night, 6 to 11.30. 33 names in total, and then a couple grand prize winners also just before midnight at 11.59. They're giving away $80,000 in cash and bonus play in this great promotion for February, and you can win for any of these Friday drawings it uh, it helps you to play with your wild card monday or tuesday try and get the uh, extra entries five times the entries on mondays and tuesdays same deal for the river of romance promotional giveaway so be out there this friday make a uh, make a date out of it go eat a great meal at chips and ales or the river buffet or at the uh, season's food court they're, they're putting an ihop in there and by the way i want to thank riverway because they are so classy the folks over there they do things right i love their promotions they're so easy to promote because they're so creative over there but justin and the and the folks over there shay and i you may know we have we lost we've lost three parents over the last 10 months and there has been a card flowers or something delivered to our home within like three days of that happening every time by the folks at riverwind with some really good sentiments on a card and we i can't thank them enough for how classy they are and how uh just how you know thoughtful that has been that's meant a lot to us and i'm like oh wow here's another card from riverwind or we get some flowers or you know a gift card to a restaurant or something like that they're they're just they're awesome the folks over at riverwind okay parker we have the perry on winfrey sound here right yes we do Okay, and this is Perion basically saying that uh, he didn't feel like the uh, the defensive guys were used in the right way. Let's go ahead and roll that. See what he has to say. Yeah, the amount that they use Nick Benito in coverage will never make sense to me. That was mm. one thing. I'm just like, okay, even if you want to stunt, fine. Just don't drop him in coverage. If there's one guy that is too good to be dropping into coverage, it's Nick Benito. 
Yeah, it's uh, what do they say? There's not a lot to uh, guys, edge rushers like that, right? I mean, particularly on the edge. And look, they'll have a move here or there, and the interior guys will have maybe more of the moves, a spin or a swim move or whatever, up and under, whatever the move might be. But you got a guy like Lawrence Taylor or somebody like that or, uh, you know, uh, Miles Garrett or uh, Von Miller in the Super Bowl, you – Put him down in the three-point stance, or and let him get to the quarterback. That's what that's their specialty. So, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It, it was just such a bizarre season. The whole season was strange to me, and uh, you know, underachieving right off the bat, having to freaking go down to the wire with Tulane. Are you kidding me? And then having a close one with Nebraska. It was just, and we kept thinking. Everybody kept thinking. All right, well, they're going to iron this out. They're going to become the team we think they can be, and they never did. They never did. And, uh, you know, um, it, it again, I had tweeted out what a disappointing season for Oklahoma, you know, after uh, the Bedlam loss. And some people, oh, come on, man, that's not a disappointment. Disappointment's under 500. Well, I, I think most people would tell you now, now that they know how all this went down to, last year was a big disappointment for Oklahoma. I mean, not even getting to the Big 12 championship game, that's a failure at Oklahoma, Parker. I mean, look, I know you, you can't get there every single year, and it's ridiculous to think, you know, with the, what was it, six six years in a row, Oklahoma went in a Big 12 championship. Yes. It's not easily done. I get that. But, look, if you're sitting here telling me that Oklahoma went in ten games and uh, but not getting to the Big 12 championship game and not getting to the playoff, then I don't think you have the same standards that most people have for Oklahoma football. No. And, uh, by the way, I, <laughs> I just came across this on my Twitter feed, and I'm still kind of giggling at it. Apparently, Dylan Gabriel caught a stray from Mackenzie Milton about going to uh, Norman via the transfer portal. Really? <laughs> uh, well, we, you know what? I'm just going to ah. save that for the top of the hour. We can circle back around to that, but that was kind of funny. But, no, I think – the expectation for this program, Mike, and it's, it's not any particular secret, right, that year in and year out, people expect Oklahoma to be an elite football program. The expectations in Norman, Oklahoma, rival – there are only a few schools at which the expectations are higher. Alabama, sure. Probably mm-hmm. Georgia at this point. LSU. Notre Dame, maybe. But there are very few schools in which the standard – is double-digit wins, and anything less than that is a disappointment. I mean, we're talking about the 2021 season being a disappointment, Mike, and they won 11 games. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, Somebody on Twitter is asking me to seek help. I think I've been helped about as much as I can, you know. Uh, uh, Like I said, I'm sure that's in regards to Muleshoe. But I, I, I'm trying. That's all I'm saying. I'm trying. I'm not going to apologize for it. I know there's some people, move on, man. We got a new coaching staff. I know, and I'm very excited about the new coaching staff. I love it. But this guy did the University of Oklahoma, Norman, the people of Oklahoma, the people of this great nation, dirty. He is, he and Brian Kelly are the devilish duo of college football coaches. Trace Armstrong, you made your two clients the most hated men in college football. All right? Like Robert Johnson in the world of music, they sold their souls at the crossroads of money and ego. 
No doubt about it. All right, we got another hour to go. Stay with us here. Steelman and Thune on the ref. Coming right back.
And our second hour presented by our friends at the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Exit 72 for a great deal on a vehicle with great service as well. And that uh, guarantee, the Seth Wadley guarantee, oil changes and engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. That would come in very handy for a guy like me who tends to kill cars. I've done that a couple times. All right, uh, Parker, you want to get to the Air Comfort Solutions text line at 405-651-3439? Yes. We, I, I've, been delinqu- I've been very delinquent in getting there. I apologize, everybody. 405-651-3439 in the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Yes, Mike, but first, a quick trip to the Twitterverse. couple of interesting developments here. First and foremost, okay. I apparently earned an unfollow from Toby Rollins today. Uh, or I, I suppose last night, because I was sitting there watching the OU Texas game, Mike, mm-hmm. and I I watched the final play of regulation where Ethan Shagwa ends up taking a three-pointer from the wing and misfiring, and that's how the game goes into overtime. And I sent a tweet where I basically said, why in the name of all that is holy is Ethan Shagwa the one jacking up a three-pointer at the end of regulation? Mm-hmm. I I guess Toby didn't take too kindly to that, and so I have I have been added to Toby's blacklist. Uh, oh I th- no! I th- to my Man. knowledge, it's the first time I've ever landed on the blacklist. Not a hundred percent sure on that, but uh, that was the first thing I heard when I walked into the office now, this okay, morning. Now, TJ said, "Oh, you've minute. been blacklisted." Wait a minute. Now, did he really unfollow you? Yes, temporarily. Yes. Can confirm. Oh, wow. See, Toby is like the most professional nicest guy out there so you have done something wrong i know clearly i i didn't I mean, think it was that uh offensive a tweet if at all but you know to each to each his own i suppose i won't fall i'm betting look i i know this also that uh toby is also your number one fan like kathy bates to james con and misery so you might have to be hobbled before you get back in his good graces but i'm betting you'll be followed again yeah that that you will, Toby will ban you temporarily. Is my guess. Okay, Toby's back to- a very nice, forgiving guy. Unlike me, with a certain guy. See, I'm the small-minded, shallow kind of guy that won't forgive a certain football coach. I mean, Toby is—he does things the right professional way. So I wouldn't worry about it. You'll be back in his good graces. It'll just be a matter of time. Okay, uh, back to the Twitterverse for a moment before we hit the Air Comfort Solutions text line. So, Mackenzie Milton, of all people, was apparently doing an interview earlier today with a radio station in the Orlando area. Of course, Mackenzie Milton, of course, a uh, UCF alum, played his final season of college football at Florida State. FSU. He got asked a question about a new NIL collective that I guess UCF is debuting for its uh, for its football players. And he says, and I quote, when you have great fan experiences, great experiences on campus, and it's lucrative, that's the best recruiting pitch possible. Would you rather be in Orlando, Florida, or somewhere in the Midwest? It's kind of a no-brainer. Then the host follows up and says, go ahead and say Lincoln, Nebraska. I dare you. And then he follows up by saying, what about Norman, Oklahoma? Really? So a lot right, of people. So wait a minute, I'm putting him on my list. Okay, what? All right, he's on the list. A lot of okay, people have interpreted ahead. that as a uh, stray blow at Dylan Gabriel for transferring from mm-hmm. UCF to Oklahoma. 
Maybe. I don't know. How do, how do you interpret that, Mike? Um, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe maybe he uh, he's seen all the OU fans coming after uh, Mule Shoe, and maybe that I don't know. But it doesn't look good. And here's the deal: I am so tired of people. You know the the. The arrogant SC, those people don't care as much about football as we do here in the great state of Oklahoma. And the arrogance and the, you know, it just, it's, it's always been that way. One of the greatest movies of the 70s was Chinatown with Jack Nicholson. And I still remember, uh, him talking about the dumb Okies who came out to California. And I am tired of that because you know why? This is a great state, great fan base. And, you know, uh, Oklahoma is going to create plenty of NIL opportunities. They'll find a way. Now, look, it's not going to be like Caleb Williams has out there in, in L.A. But there are smart people in the OU administration. They're finding a way, and they're setting up a deal where they'll have plenty of NIL opportunities. I mean, it's still this reputation of, you know, covered wagons and chickens and cows, and that's about all we have out here. Barbed wire fences. It's just ridiculous. Okay, let's go to the Air Comfort Solutions text line and see what folks are saying. Uh, I, did you did you call Mule Shoe a slouch last hour, Mike? Was that one of the word that you? I called him used? a tremendous a tremendous slouch. Okay, and not not the no, type of I, slouch that uh, we have on the Gimme Zone. I would imagine. No, I, maybe I did, but my voice is kind of messed up right now. I'm so still congested, so I may have sounded, said something wrong. But what did they they think I called him a slouch? Uh, yes, one listener says he's not a slouch. He's just a straight up nerd. I, I yeah, I, I just uh, whatever you want to call him, as long as it's not. I, look, I just I need to turn off. I, I just need to block him. You know, he's blocked a lot of people, but. I just don't need to see those tweets anymore. I'm like, dude, just stop. I know he's not going to. And like I said, the next wave is going to be USC winning games out of that sissy conference that they're going to be playing in. Okay, back to the text line. One of our Tulsa area listeners says, per some conspiracy theories, there are a lot of Satan worshipers in L.A. slash Hollywood. Mule Shoe has sold his soul. <laughs> oh man i i don't like the guy very much right now i'm sure he's a fine dad and i think he's a pretty good football coach and you know i don't think he's an evil human being so i'm not going to go that far i just think the way he went about his exit in my opinion was sleazy and evil yes so in that respect i do think he's evil okay doug and norman says some of what you're talking about on the defensive line may be true with respect to defensive schemes substitutions etc but the elephant in the room that no one will talk about is effort Perion winfrey proved to the senior bowl that he was an elite talent because big money is at stake now that he was playing for a high draft spot but his mm-hmm. effort at OU was at best questionable. I looked at every game numerous times, and Winfrey played with effort maybe two out of four plays. Yes, he was frequently double-teamed, but he rarely showed much effort to fight through a double-team to make a play. He took plays off, and that is very obvious. The low-hanging fruit is to blame someone else like a system he didn't like. Now, I will say this much. That is something that I've actually heard echoed from people close to the program, is that... 
uh, sure, a lot of it falls on Grinch and his scheming and the fact that he right. didn't he just he didn't just let his dogs eat. But also, the effort was something that could have been better on the part of uh, most notably Perrion Winfrey because again, you saw at the Senior Bowl. I mean, when when you light a fire under that dude, he's a oh, different man. type of beast. He was unblock. He was unblockable. And there, there was a stretch of like three or four games. Parker was like, "Where did Perry on Winfrey go?" You know, you weren't. You just weren't hearing his name called. And and I agree with it was Keith, right? Doug, uh, I, I think uh, Doug. My bad. Um, I, I think that there's probably some truth in that. I mean, you can't lay it all on the coaching staff. I mean, some of it has to be. A, a lot of it has to be on the players as well. So. But um, I think Sooner fans, they just they were excited. Why were they? Why were people, even nationally, picking Oklahoma to win a national championship this past year? Defense, right? Oklahoma finally has the defense where they can get it done, and it just didn't work out that way. Uh, before we go to a break, Parker. So I got Brent uh, tweeting me and says, "Steely, I'm building a." Mule Shoe Playlist. Here are some of the songs I have so far. Lies by the Thompson Twins. Tell Me Lies by Fleawood Mac. Liar by Henry Rollins. Um, Hair of the Dog by Nazareth. You're No Good by Van Halen. I Hate Everything About You by Ugly Kid Joe. (laughs) Can you give me a country suggestion i am drawing a blank and so i had a chance to think about this here's what we have we have charlie pride for you remember how mule shoe and friends left in the under the cover of darkness you know for la that's what snakes do we got a charlie pride song this is perfect for mule shoe and i think it's going to be on your playlist because the snakes they crawl at night that's what we hear. Uh, so if you want a country song for your playlist, we're going to find Charlie Pride and uh, the snakes crawl at night because, I don't know, I, just off the top of my head, that's the first country song I think applies. What do you think, Parker? Is there one I'm leaving out? Somebody They can help us on the text line, too. Yeah, so the problem is you're definitely asking the wrong person here, Mike, because mm-hmm. I am not a country guy. And never have been one. So my dad was a huge, and I remember hearing this as a kid, and I thought it was kind of a cool song. And Charlie Pride's a Hall of Famer, African American country singer. Are you kidding me? The first great African American superstar. We're talking Black History Month. Can we find that song, Parker? Oh, I, I've already, I've already found it, Mike. You don't need to worry about that. Are we ready? You want to play it into the break? You want to? This is the song. There it is. The snakes crawl at night. We could get that to set to the video of all those guys leaving at the airport at about 5 a.m., trying to weasel their way out of town under the cover of darkness. So, yes, Charlie Pride, uh, Hall of Famer, and I would say, Brent, this is the song that you need for the Mule Shoe playlist, Country Variety, would be this one. I'm trying to hit the, uh, I'm trying to hit the uh, chorus and the verse here in a break, all right? Because there it is.
Okay, we are back here with you, Steelman and Thune, at noon on the Ref Radio Network, hour number two, presented by the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Exit 72 for a great deal on a car or truck from our friends at Seth Wadley and the great guarantee. Oil changes, engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. Heck of a deal. Okay, um, Sooner basketball, percentage chance right now, Parker, you have for Oklahoma making it to the NCAA tournament is what? I would say a greater than 50% chance, Mike, still. Hmm. And it's weird because typically I would be the one on the other end. Like, I would be a lot more pessimistic than optimistic if, like, most years, if this is where the Sooners sat record wise on the bubble as we get closer and closer to March. But there's just going to be so much leeway for them. That's the thing. Like, it's hard to imagine if they win even two of their final five games. It is really hard to imagine that they're not going to make the tournament because they're still going to be top 50 in the NET, you would imagine. All the advanced metrics are going to have Oklahoma high up there. They play in the Big 12, the toughest basketball conference which in the country, and it could be an 8-bid, even 9-bid league at this point, Mike. And so... Like, you, you hate to say that, and it's such a weird sentiment to echo the phrase that Oklahoma might be the best 14-12 and 12 team in the country because to a certain degree you're like, well, how much does that actually mean? But I think it's legitimately the case. There are not many bubble teams that are going to have the same sway in the eyes of the committee on Selection Sunday as Oklahoma because how because of how many good basketball games they've played and because of the quality of their losses. And I've never been one that buys into quality losses. To to me, a loss is a loss is a loss, right? But when you stack Oklahoma up on Selection Sunday against a lot of these teams that they'll be going toe-to-toe with on the bubble, Oklahoma's going to have a pretty strong resume, all things considered, unless the wheels just fall off down the stretch here. And I think that watching them go to the fog and come within one shot of beating Kansas and go to the Farrell Center and come within two or three bad final minutes of beating Baylor, it's those types of games that the committee will look at and say, you know what, this is a team that can compete in the tournament. This is a team that can go toe-to-toe with the best of the best in college basketball and give us exciting basketball games in tournament time. And, of course, that's what it's all about. Right, March Madness is pomp and circumstance, and what makes it memorable is the iconic moments that it provides to us. Right, And so if you have a team like that versus a team like, just to pick one example, Wyoming, which is the number 22 team in the country right now, sure, at, t- what, 20 and 4? Mm-hmm. But you, you would much rather see Oklahoma, based on what they've done this season, go into an environment, go into a neutral court environment and try to pull an upset over the likes of uh, Gonzaga or in Arizona than you would Wyoming. How about Wyoming also being in that? What It's like the first time I can remember Wyoming being in the uh, top 25 since like the days of uh, Finnis Dembo. And uh, Eric Legner back in the eighties, Mike. I don't know if ago. I don't know if anyone listening knows who Finnis Dembo is. I certainly don't, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I just want to. He was the electric man because yeah. you have the most remarkable sporting memory that I have ever experienced. 
Well, again, ask me something from uh, a week or two weeks ago, and I'll be hot. That that happened, but something mid-80s in the heyday of college basketball. Yeah, Finnis Dimbo, that was his name. He uh, he was drafted by the Pistons, I think, and he and Eric Lechner um, were big for Wyoming. I think they went to the Sweet 16 one year, and I, I just remember that de- that name was very different. Finnis Dimbo. There's never been another Finnis Dimbo or a Dennis Fimbo, as far as I know. So... Anyway, yeah, and so you think Oklahoma can get in six, at 6 and 12 in the conference? <laughs> Would I have thought so a month ago? Absolutely not. Do I think so right now? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of do. I kind of so do. So you're you're you, since West Virginia's not going uh unless, you know, it's not, I mean they're 14 and 11, you know, they're really one game behind Oklahoma. But you're competing with Iowa State, and you're competing with – and look, somebody's got to get left out, right? Kansas State has a better conference record. Sooners beat K-State by what, two? That was like the uh, their Big 12 opener, wasn't it? Yes. I think Tanner Groves was out for, like, protocols at that time. Um, but Oklahoma State obviously is not going. Um, but, man, that game at K-State could be huge. I still think they need to win three – the rest of the regular season. I mean, they still could get in based on the strength of the conference, but I, I, I'm thinking seven and eleven, the convenience store record. You've got to get, you've got to get there, um, or else you may have to win a game. Probably have to win a game in the Big Twelve tournament, but we'll see. Um, you know, it's been, it's just been, and and I'm not sure. Is there a team? I, they could Baylor with the injuries now doesn't look. You know, Baylor still got a good basketball team, but they're not as formidable. Um, I don't know, man. I don't see anybody, though, out of the Big 12 that I, I think can win the national title against some of the other contenders out there. Obviously, when you talk about Auburn and Gonzaga, Arizona's playing great. UK's coming on. Purdue uh, with Jaden Ivey, a, a guy like that. But, yeah, top to bottom, clearly, you just don't get really any nights off in the Big 12. You just don't. Um, so I don't know. Iowa State, though, coming up this weekend. And Iowa State just snapped that four-game losing streak. They won at TCU last night. And TCU, of course, is 2-0 against Oklahoma. So, Brockington had a big game for Iowa State. Uh, going to Hilton's never going to be easy. So, by the way, I think that's an ESPN Plus game, isn't it, coming up this weekend, which is not cool. Not cool at all. By the way, uh, um, I think I, – here's another thing I wonder as we get closer and closer to tournament time. I wonder if Porter Moser and what he's done in the NCAA tournament comes into play as well. I wonder if the committee looks at Oklahoma and says, and says, you know what, that's a coach that we can trust to have his team play in their best ball of the season heading into the tournament. And so that's another check that you can put in the box for Oklahoma is they have a coach who's been there, done that, and has been a part of some deep tournament runs at programs with far less – at his disposal in terms of talent than Oklahoma has this year. Does OU have a Sister Mary type that we could get to the tournament also? Is there a 90-plus-year-old nun around anywhere? Uh, I mean, is Loyola going to make the tournament? Because I'm sure sure Porter and uh, OU could rent Sister Jean from Loyola if they end up on the outside looking in. I think Loyola was in pretty good shape last I saw, but I haven't seen in a couple weeks um, what they were doing. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But you're right. Yeah, he's, 
His uh, his record in the tournament, yeah, he's been. Uh, that's why he's at Oklahoma right now, right? Um, and you can talk about the players he had came across with, obviously, but um, Porter Moser became a hot commodity based on what he did in the tournament, and, and I think he's an excellent hire for OU. I really do. Um, the, look, they're just in a really tough conference, and they have decent talent. I, I might even go to good talent, but they don't have great talents. And they don't have great depth. And that's the question for me, Parker, is what kind of player can Porter Moser and this staff bring to OU? You know, that to me is is going to be the – because I, I think X's and O's and all of that and uh, getting his players to play hard, you got that. I think that's done. Uh, that's never going to be an issue for him. But what do you think in terms of uh, – what you've seen recruiting-wise so far. And let's face it, recruiting to Oklahoma basketball is not like recruiting to Oklahoma football. Now, I'm not saying it's it's an extremely difficult place to bring players to, but you don't see as many – I mean, you think about the great players, you know, who came to Oklahoma that you would say were five stars or Wayman Tisdale or Blake Griffin or Jeff Webster back in the day. Uh, Hollis Price was a big recruit. Um, they've recruited pretty well, but you're not going to bring in three or four guys like that, like Kansas or Duke or UK. What have you seen so far? I know it's very early, but what do you think of what they're doing recruiting-wise? Yeah, well, I think Porter Moser has a couple of really good combo guards coming in and Milos Uzan and Ortega Uwe. I think those guys can be day one contributors next year. And then as I look ahead to the class of 2024 – Mike, there is a five-star combo guard just up the road in Bartlesville by the name of David Castillo, Mm -hmm. whom Oklahoma has already offered. And I would hope and I would expect that that becomes target A1 on the recruiting trail for Porter Moser when you're talking about the long term. And so now that you got your 2022 class secured, you got your guys signed, uh, you've got got relief coming for a backcourt that is going to lose Jordan Goldwire and that you're going to be putting it in the hands of uh, probably Bijan Cortez and Alston Mason is the timeshare there, unless Uzan uh, or Uwe prove that they are able to shoulder the load right off the bat. But uh, there's going to need to be some reinforcements made with this basketball team. I'm trying to think who's aging out. So it's going to be Goldwire that they lose. Ethan Shagwa is going to be done. And then is there anybody else that they are losing this uh, year or next? I wanted to Mo say, Gibson? No, Mo Gibson will be back. Most, Elijah Hartless is going to be back. I'm trying to think. I believe there's one more well, Tanner. that they are losing. Nope, Tanner Groves can come back. I thought he was done with his eligibility, nope. so he can't come back. He's got the extra year, uh, the Rona year, basically. Yes, so he can okay. he can return. Hey, Mar- Marvin way, Johnson, to... that's the other guy. Marvin Johnson. Marvin Johnson, who's been hurt. And you know Marvin Johnson uh, came on and had a little spurt there where it looked like he was going to contribute. But he did some really nice the injury. Yeah, he did. By the way, and I left Trey Young out, of course, in the, the great big-time players that have come to Oklahoma. And the only thing that um, the only thing that Trey Young's got going is uh, he's starting in the NBA All-Star game coming up this weekend, this Sunday in Cleveland. So there you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's take a quick break right here. Air Comfort Solutions text line available to you, 405-651-3439. 
405-651-3439 in the Air Comfort Solutions text line. We would love uh, to read any text you have. Uh, you can even come after us if you want. We, we, we like that, too. All right, and I want to talk about the Kyler Murray deal with the Cardinals. This is, uh, this is a little bit strange to me, seeing how this has all gone down. And J.J. Watt had an interesting video on uh, Instagram yesterday. So we'll get into that when we get back. Keep it here.
Oh, Stevie Ray. Another one we lost way too early. Stevie Ray in double trouble. So good. All right, welcome back, Steelman and Thune. Way afternoon. Uh, we are uh, into the last 30 minutes or so of the show. We've got locked in with uh, Parker and Tyler McComas coming up at the top of the hour. Again, thanks to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley for sponsoring our second hour here. I'm struggling a little bit trying to breathe. I'm still congested, but hopefully um, sometimes you hear a little pause. That's what's going on. All right, so, Parker, what do you make of the whole Kyler Murray deal? He scrubbed his social media, Instagram, everything with Arizona Cardinals stuff. He did come back and send out uh, an Instagram photo of uh, him in a Cardinals uniform with a message, quote, I play this game for the love of it, my teammates, everyone who has helped me get to this position that believed in me, and to win championships. All of this nonsense is not what I'm about. Never has been, never will be. Anyone who has ever stepped between those lines with me knows how hard I go. Love me or hate me, but I'm going to continue to grow and get better. What do you think? Well, I think, Kyler, explain what the deal was. Like That's all fine and well. Explain what the situation was that led you to scrub the Cardinals off your social media platforms because that's what everybody's curious about. And I was talking about this with Josh the other day, Mike. It's just a bad look, right? Because people people only know what they can see. And all they can see right now, nobody knows what's going on behind the scenes between him and the Cardinals. All they know is that he's acting immature on social media and – Taking the, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to liken it to, Mike, but a lot of people are going to view him in the same light as a petulant child because they're going to say, well, he's got beef with his employer and he's not saying anything publicly. He's not addressing the situation. He's just being petty and erasing all mention of them off his social media platform. So, yeah. Again, I don't know it, whether it makes the him root- look much worse than the Cardinals exactly, in this deal. Exactly. And so I don't know if the root of the issue is Kyler. I don't know if the root of the issue is the Cardinals. What I am saying is the way that Kyler has gone about this situation casts him in an unflattering light. And that's not what you want at this point in your NFL career. You don't want to get the distraction label at age 25. No, and I, I think there could be some people who would say that maybe Kyler is a little bit, you know, we, we read the stories about, oh, he supposedly listened to music, you know, in the locker room or calling his girlfriend, he's detached or whatever. Uh, maybe he's a little bit of a sore loser because he didn't grow up losing games. He never lost one at Allen, right? They won all those state championships. Remember him? He couldn't hardly get off the field when they lost to Sam Ellinger in Texas, even though he, he had a great uh, effort that day, a great uh, comeback. But remember how upset he was in the post game, and I guess he feels like he's being blamed by everybody for that debacle of a performance against the Rams, right in the playoffs, where he had one of the worst pick sixes of all time. But I don't know. Maybe he got his feelings hurt too much. But I would think they would uh, they would keep Kyler before they'd keep Cliff Kingsbury, wouldn't they? Uh, yes, like if it came down to if Kyler walked into the front office and said, it's either me or Kingsbury, choose right now. I don't think they would hesitate in firing Kingsbury. Uh, Cliff, uh, can you go see HR right now? We'll have your papers ready. Thanks for your service. 
But I don't know. Do you think uh, you think Kyler is a little bit of a sore loser or as tough as he can? Look, when you play at that size, and I know he's got great speed, great wheels, great athletic ability, so he doesn't take a lot of huge hits. You've got to be tough. But in terms of dealing with the criticism and stuff like that, um, you know, there there wasn't a lot of that for Kyler, right? Um, five-star kid. I know he left A&M, but... You know, his one year at Oklahoma was the greatest year, I think, by a Sooner quarterback. I think he's the best athlete to play that position at the University of Oklahoma, probably the best athlete to play at the University of Oklahoma. But I don't know um, what's in his head on this deal. It's really hard to say what's in his head because he won't address what's in his head. Yeah. And that's the other part of it. Like, again, the statement he made, okay, that's great. That's fine. Glad you got that off your chest. Now, explain, at least in as much as you're able, what is going on, because that's what everybody wants to know. I don't think anybody is questioning that you're a competitor, and I, I think it was pretty clear that those rumors that were floating around about him being like on FaceTime with his girlfriend during halftimes and all that, I, I, it's pretty obvious that's bogus. Yeah, but yeah I, I don't think that's true what, what people are legitimately wondering is, what is the origin of this beef with the Cardinals? What do you want versus what do they want? And how can th- how can this all get figured out? Because right now, at least to the outside observer, this looks like the beginnings of a toxic relationship. Yeah, no doubt. In fact, J.J. Watt, remember how excited he was to play with Kyler Murray, and I think he respects him as a, a teammate and everything, but even he was baffled by the whole deal. This was J.J. Watt in a video he put out on his Instagram the other day. Oh, one second here. Let me get this clip ready. No problem. No problem. Yeah, J.J. Watt sounded kind of uh, as baffled as everybody else out there as to what's going on uh, with this Kyler Murray situation, and... <clears throat> Well, you can kind of hear, I think there's some sarcasm, but also some frustration in this clip uh, from J.J. Watt. He didn't answer. What does it mean? Are we still friends? Does he still follow me on social? Maybe it's just at dinner. There you go. It was it uh, somewhat ironic there that you had emergency vehicles in the background, like you get a fire going on there in Arizona. <laughs> uh, that's, I, it's obviously it's sarcasm. Good. Yeah, but. but he's kind of like, "What's going on?" Yeah, but you know what? I'm going to sound really old with this comment, and I don't care I, because I believe I'm right. We place so much value on social media, and it's so many times, it's so freaking shallow, so much of it, you know. It's just like, oh, my gosh, he scrubbed his social media. Now, is that a story? Absolutely it is. I'm not saying that. That's weird. I mean, there's something going on there, clearly, or he wouldn't have done that. But sometimes I... I I guess this is one of those times where I'm thinking there, there are a few times where I think, you know what, I wish all social media would go away. But you know what would happen the next day? I would be thinking, oh, my gosh, where are my notifications? I've got to have this. I've got to have that. But sometimes, I don't know, it's, it just uh, 
seems like we put a, a, a little bit of extra importance on that stuff that sometimes really isn't that important. You can, we actually lived before social media, right? By the way, Mike, did you get the chance, and this is a little bit off topic, but the whole social media conversation and you sounding old uh, made you. me bring it to mind. Uh, did you get the chance to listen to the Mike Leach cameo yesterday that we played on the show? I, You know, I actually had sent that to the email last night when I was thinking, well, maybe I can come in tomorrow. But I, I got to hear about 10 seconds of it. If you have it, I'm oh, glad yeah. to listen to we'll, it. Uh, we'll go ahead. We'll play that on yeah. the other side of the break. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, that's good. And look, I, look, I love my social media too. But I'm just saying, you know, sometimes it, it's like, oh, my gosh, really? We have found out that we are, we are all part of the Look at Me Society. We all thought, you know, it was just the class clown, the guy who needs attention, and that's it. No, there are a bunch of us out there, including me to a certain extent. But back in my day, by gosh, we went to the ice cream social. You know what I'm saying? Not the social media social. I'm going to go out and get my AARP newsletter, and we'll be right back. Stay with us here on The Ref.
<laughs> oh, man. Mike Leach. I was starting to get a little bit tired of Mike Leach, but that that's good stuff. So making that money on Cameo, man. Everybody's getting on. How much do you think Bob Stoops is making? I bet Bob's doing pretty well on Cameo. I would imagine so. I, I mean, he's probably doing pretty well with the uh, the tequila prom- promotionals. Yeah, so absolutely, he's, man. He, he's a man with multiple sources of income these days. That's right. Hey, hell, Bert Switcher. I bet Bert Switcher hang a half a hundred on their ass. He's doing well on uh, Cameo, too. It's probably a midway deli right still got now. it. Yeah, probably. Probably. Beans and cornbread, right? Um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, that that's pretty cool, though. The only problem with Mike Leach, thinking back, you know what the problem with Mike Leach is? Number one, some of the stuff, okay, he's explained candy corn a million times and Bigfoot, you know. And the first time around, they're pretty funny. And some of his rants when he's really angry are are as good as some of the, the humorous stuff. I find those maybe even more humorous. But he's partially responsible for mule shoe, Right. Well, I mean, are we really going to hold him responsible for Mule Shoe? Yes. Anybody okay. who's well, been associated with Mule Shoe is partially held responsible. A- anybody who's Stoops. ever been associated with him? Well, that I mean, might be a little... B- all Bill, right, Bill Biedenboe? I thought we already absolved Bill Biedenboe. Bill of- Biedenboe has been absolved. He's uh, Bill Biedenboe's always good. But, I, you know, we said... Sometimes, if I don't think Bill Biedenboe's a tech guy, right? I, I He was at West Virginia, right? He's been other places. But the people in Lubbock, they're just, they're, there's a problem there. They're, they're bad people. The fans, anyway. I'm just when, saying. When was the last time you set foot in Lubbock, Mike? Uh, never. Really? I already You've never know. been there? I I need I I've seen that's one of the few places when you think about the Buddy Holly Museum is where to go, but other than that, I still just remember, you know, the fans. They're they're the equivalent of LSU fans in the Big Twelve, because I don't know. And Mule Shoes, what like thirty miles from there? So hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me get this straight. You've never been to Lubbock. I have driven around the Lubbock area. But I've never actually been to a game at Tech, one of the few places oh, in the league. Are you saying that I can't comment then? No, listen, listen. I, I respect the vitriol all the more now because mm-hmm. it's just so, like, its basis is not even in experience. It's just based yeah. in a pure, like, absolutely – unwavering hatred for all things Texas Tech. So on a a certain level, it's respectable. But I'm also just like, you need to go to Lubbock so you can experience Lubbock for yourself. And that's probably going to enhance your hatred for all things glorified junior college. Yeah. Well, I I, I think part of it stems back to trying to edit that J.D. Reynolds postgame. Go Raiders! You know, every two seconds. And the people at Tech wouldn't remove that guy. And uh, yeah, Mule Shoe just put him over the top, too. You know, for me. So, anyway. Man, that's crazy. Right, how, win. how did you develop such a hatred for Lubbock, I just having never been there? I, I just, 
I, I, I don't know. I never liked the uniforms. I never liked the stadium. I don't like Cliff Kingsbury walking around like he's a GQ model all the time. I, you know, I didn't find Spike Dyke saying, you know, been around since Moby Dick was a minna. Uh, funny. Any of that stuff. I just don't like the tech people. Again, I respect, I, I respect your hatred all the more now because I realize it is completely blind. I'm also just like most of the stuff I do is blind. Yes, yeah. completely blind. Well, you know so. what? We need to we need to do a remote from Lubbock. We can get Mike Steely's live thoughts on his very first experience in Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> Real I'd time like to go reaction. See the, Buddy, the Buddy Holly Museum. So yeah, big Buddy Holly fan, rock and roll legend. All right, uh, the River Romance giveaway, ladies and gentlemen. You like romance? Yes. You like a river? Of course you do. Well, what about a river of romance? It's happening right now at Riverwind Casino. It's a great promotion, and they've got their big drawing coming up on Friday night from 6 to 11.30. Get out there and win your share of a bunch of cash and bonus play at Riverwind. You can win. And, again, on any of these Friday night promotional drawings, it's a good idea, if you can, to get out there and play with your wild card on Monday and Tuesday. And rack up five times the entries for the drawing on Friday night. So the River of Romance, $80,000 River of Romance uh, giveaway continues this month at Riverwind. The next drawing is coming up in a couple days on Friday night, 6 to 11.30, drawing out three patrons' names every half hour. So 33 chances to hear your name called. And then they award two grand prize winners also just before midnight. So get on out there. Make it a great night. Friday night, you're going to have a great meal at Chips and Ales Pub Restaurant, or you can go enjoy steak night at the River Buffet, all you can eat for $29.99. The food court's available to you. They're putting an IHOP in there. I like that. So you can even have some breakfast food there at Riverwind. So there are many choices to you uh, dining-wise. They've got a great hotel. Riverwind is just the place to be any night, but especially on the weekends. But, again, Friday night, the $80,000 River of Romance promotional drawing. Go out and win your show share of $80,000 in cash and bonus play. Great hotel over at Riverwind. They've got everything. They've got everything. Okay. um, Tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, hopefully I'll be back in studio unless I'm, you know, the mucus monster takes me down again today. And I've lost a couple battles to that ugly creature over the past couple days, but I'm fighting back. Our forces the Mucinex forces have taken the border, and we're marching towards the Capitol, which means back in studio tomorrow, hopefully. Everybody, have a great Wednesday. Parker will talk to you tomorrow. Parker's coming up on Locked In with Tyler McComas here on The Ref. Great hour of uh, sooner information for you, and then the rush after that. Everybody, have a great Wednesday. See you tomorrow.
Oh yeah, Mackenzie Milton, come on down. New day, new shade. I was beginning to <laughs> oh, wonder. Man. Uh, a little worry a little bit, Parker. It was like one o'clock and I was like, dang, no one has been taking shots at OU today. Then I see that Mackenzie Milton went on a radio show in Orlando and basically slammed Norman, Oklahoma. And uh yeah, we got we got our newest uh, individual today. Uh, we got the audio clip. Here is Mackenzie Milton on an Orlando radio station. Here's what he said. Throwing some shade at Dylan Gabriel. And that's how Mackenzie Milton made Mike Steely's hit list. <laughs> did, did he really? Yes. Is he going off on that? I love that. I love that. Um, by the way, uh, Mackenzie, I would choose Norman, Oklahoma over Orlando, Florida. So I, I do just want to make that clear. I have been to Orlando, Florida. Um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and just stick with Norman, Oklahoma. That's actually a better place in my eyes. And let's not act like McKenzie that if given the opportunity to play uh, quarterback at Oklahoma at any point in your career, you would have <laughs> left uh, Orlando, Florida really quick to come to Norman. I guarantee yeah. you that. Yeah, that's the thing is like say Oklahoma, say free agency or like tampering was legal and Oklahoma had been like, hey, McKenzie Milton, come on down. Think you would have been like, oh no, no screw that. Norman, Orlando, Oklahoma, Florida, it. yeah, commuter school out there in Orlando would be much more fun than an actual college town like Norman, Oklahoma, where they uh, really appreciate college football. Yeah, you're right, McKenzie. Orlando is a much better college football destination than the Midwest. Okay. Now I like Orlando. I've been there. I'll say it. I like Orlando. Not a bad place. Not my favorite place in the state of Florida, but not bad. For college football, <laughs> it, yeah. it, there's no comparison. No, no. I mean, there, there's no comparison whatsoever, and that's what the decision is based on. Like, you're really going to throw shade at Dylan Gabriel for coming to play in Oklahoma? Really? Like, it might turn out to be the best football decision that he's ever made in his life. Maybe one of the best decisions up to this point in his life that he's ever made. Like, I, I think that this is going to put Dylan Gabriel in a situation where his NFL drop, draft prospects are going to be much higher. He's going to be playing with better players around him. He's going to be playing at a better conference, better uh, playing for a better university, get a chance to go to the college football playoff. Like, he's up there. I, I know that you're still the UCF guy, but... Let's let's not act like Dylan Gabriel made a terrible decision here. Yeah, and hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's circle back around here, McKenzie. If UCF's so great, why did you leave? That's <laughs> right. my other thing. Yeah. Fair point. Orlando's this and by the way, he doubled down on social media. Not shade, y'all. It's fact. There's a reason Orlando is the fastest growing city in comparisons to these other places. I'm sorry. But the only recruiting pitch with these Blue Bloods have is that they are just that. No one is jumping out of their seat to move to Lincoln or Norman. No, they're jumping out of their seat to go play big-time college football. 
Not group of five ball the at o- UCF. The only recruiting pitch that OU has is a blue blood <laughs> is that they are blue blood. Yeah, yeah the, the, only, the only recruiting pitch is that they have seven national titles. It's a pretty good recruiting pitch there, man. Uh, just to let you know, it's worked out quite nicely around here. I did not think that we were going to get some UCF shade today, but here we are. Here we are. I thought it was going to be more about Brent Venables, and they're going to double down on how he's not going to be as good of a head coach since he's never done it before. But I guess we're coming out. They're coming after everybody now. Dang. Like, that is a comically, famously bad roast. Yeah, you know, those blue bloods. They're just, that's all they got going for them is that they're historically really good at college football. Historically really good. uh, Got amazing facilities. People show up to the games and sell it out. Um,. I know we have to play a lot of 11 a.m. games, but all the games are on TV. Yeah, that's that's that was a pretty bad attempt at a uh, burn there, McKenzie, but maybe next time. I do appreciate the you, though, trying to stand up for your school. Just not going to work out when we're comparing uh, Orlando, Florida to Norman. Orlando's fine, but it falls very far down the list in most desirable locations in the state of Florida. So let's not act like... Orlando is the best the state of Florida has to offer. No, right? no, it is not. The hits keep coming, man. Like, we got to start taking prop bets on who the next public figure to throw shade at the University of Oklahoma or someone affiliated with it is going to be. I feel like Lou Holtz might be the next one. Now, we might not be able to understand anything the old guy says, um, <laughs> but I think he's about to double down on Notre Dame was the first ever to have the uh, play like a champion sign. We all know that that's untrue. We all know that that claim is crap, but Lou Holtz led that charge a few months ago, and I have a feeling we're gonna we're about to hear from old Lou again. Unfortunately, let us That'd know. Be my guess. Let us know on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Who is the next public figure that will publicly diss the University of Oklahoma or some prominent individual associated with OU? It's fine. OU's like Rocky. Uh, they keep on taking jabs, maybe even a couple of haymakers from everyone, but. They're staying in the fight, they're staying tough, and sooner or later, when September rolls around, in October and November, OU's going to land a couple haymakers themselves, and everyone's going to be stunned. Oh my god, how did Oklahoma go 11-1 and this year and win the Big 12? I know that, That's kind of the silver lining in all of this, is that when Oklahoma has another outstanding season of football, the national media is going to be like... My goodness, the biggest surprise in college football this year, the Oklahoma Sooners with a first-year head coach in Brent Venables. Who saw this coming? And then we're going to sit here and we're going to be like, we did. We saw it coming, folks. Yeah. What, one of my biggest pet peeves, and actually I think um, your colleague Joey Helmer falls right into this category as well, but one of my bigger pet peeves, and I've got a lot of them, by the way, but is like people like McKenzie Milton's. Or McKenzie Milton that played in Orlando, Florida, right? Sure. Guys like Colin Cowherd who act like they've spent their entire career in Los Angeles when in reality they've moved to all these different places around the country. It annoys me so much when people in California, people in Florida just act like, oh my God, why would you want, why would you even think about living anywhere else and acting like th- living in this part of the country is just so god-awful, it's this god-forsaken land just in the middle of the country. Like, that really triggers me and really annoys me when people in those locations act like, (laughs) who would ever want to live in a place like Norman, Oklahoma? Yeah, now look, Florida's not a bad place. I, for one, generally like the state of Florida. Tampa is one of my favorite places I've ever been. But in terms of culture, you know what Florida has? Florida has a bunch of retirees and Florida men. 
<laughs> Florida, yeah. You you had me at Florida men right there, by the way, uh, 100%. So, yeah, we've uh, got more jabs coming our way here, and they were, they're not stopping anytime soon, Parker. No, the no. barrage will continue to happen here. Uh, Peyton says via the Air Comfort Solutions text line, also just FYI, the OKC metro area has grown at a 1.07% annual rate the last 10 years, and Orlando grew at a 0.53% annually the last 10 years. So statistically, you're wrong, McKenzie. Mm, sorry, McKenzie. Um, you should have maybe done your research before you threw out that take. And Dylan Gabriel's going to have a nice year at OU, by the way, so get ready. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fun watching that happen. He's going to throw up some uh, big numbers this season. Which I actually believe is is going to be the case. I, I, I think that um, whereas we know the commodity that OU's getting, the national media is going to probably label him as one of the bigger surprises in college football next year. And that's just another thing we'll be like, yeah, we, we try to tell you. It's a shame I had to come on the airwaves today and fight Mackenzie Milton because I actually really like Mackenzie Milton. Like, everything he went through to get back on the football field – and then that game that he had in the opener this past year against Notre Dame where he came cold off the bench and were it not for an errant field goal attempt would have led Florida State to an upset win over Notre Dame. Like, I have a ton of respect for Mackenzie Milton. He's apparently working out for the NFL draft in hopes of playing at the next level. I don't think that's going to happen, but there is nothing I would like to see more than that man realizing his professional football dreams. However... Cool it with the Norman case. <laughs> exactly, yes. Or at least he's, visit here a couple times. He's from Hawaii. Like, he's probably never even been to the Midwest. Right. That's the other thing. I, I know. That's what annoys me, too. No one's ever been here before, but because everyone says the middle of the country sucks, some people like to run with it. Uh, the middle of the country is awesome. You and I have both lived here our entire lives. I would not want to live anywhere else than, than right here, and I don't plan to for the rest of my life either because I love it here. It's awesome. Hey, I was kind of going up and down the 2023 team recruiting rankings. And yes, I know. And and you said it a couple days ago, and it's it's so true. It's way too early to really dive into team rankings and take anything out of it. But I do think it's interesting. Uh, We mentioned Notre Dame being at number one. Marcus Freeman, I think, is going to be a huge addition for them. Baylor and Tech being at five and six is, is interesting. Arkansas is at number three, though, right now. They've got nine commits to this class. Luke has is committed. And I don't, this isn't some grand revelation of Arkansas recruiting and where it's going, but you and I have theorized in the past that Arkansas is going to try and be a major player in the Tulsa area. And I do feel like with this staff, that is probably more true now than it's ever been. Arkansas's always tried to have a base in Tulsa. I feel like, though, with this staff, they're going to try to get in as much as possible on those Owasso kids, those Union kids, those Jinx kids. They're, they're going to make a heavy, heavy push, what, two hours west of them. Yes, and I believe that Arkansas under Sam Pittman is going to be the type of program that is perennially recruiting a top 20 class, and I don't think a top 10 class will be out of the realm of possibility for them because that program's got a ton of momentum right now, both on the recruiting trail and in terms of what they did on the football field this past year because, lest we forget, nobody, especially look at what Arkansas's schedule looked like heading into last season – I remember looking at that schedule before the year and thinking, good gracious, Arkansas will be lucky to win three or four games. And they went and won nine, won a bowl game. It was a very successful season for Sam Pittman and his staff. So 
Arkansas, if they can continue that upward mobility, I think Sam Pittman is the type of guy that can get Arkansas back into the national top ten the way that they were in the Darren McFadden, uh, Felix Jones, Peyton Hillis, Casey Dick days. Yeah, um, well, he's one of those guys you can tell one-on-one he's a really good recruiter. He's he's just got that certain persona about him. I don't want to compare him to Coach O because we can understand <laughs> what Sam Pittman is actually saying. But you get what – right? Uh, he's just kind of that big personality, and he's just going to love you up and tell you how great it's going to be. Like there, there is some comparisons there that one-on-one, face-to-face, Sam Pittman is pretty good, and they've got a nice little staff out there in Fayetteville. I'm interested to see what they do the next three years or so because going into this year – I think it was the previous seven or eight years, they had the uh, worst winning percentage in the SEC. Worse than Vanderbilt, worse than Missouri, worse than everyone, and he's turned it around there quickly, very quickly. Yeah, there was a time where I, I think it was it, it was while Chad Morris was there. So I think from like November of 2017 up until September, October of 2020, they didn't win a game in the SEC at all. Like, they did not win a single conference game yeah. for two full seasons. Yeah. That's how bad of a situation it was at Arkansas. Remember when North Texas ago. went out there and beat them down? They had that incredible uh, punt return yes. a few years ago. So, yeah, like San Jose State and Colorado State, they were going out to Fayetteville and, and winning, beating, yeah. uh, beating Arkansas. So they they lost to Toledo at one point. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been rough, but we'll, we'll see if the Hogs can rebound and – that's important around here because uh, we're about to see a whole lot more OU-Arkansas games yes, coming up in the future. Which is great because OU and Arkansas is a rivalry that's needed to start happening for a long time. Yeah, but OU will never recognize it as a rivalry. Arkansas fans will because Arkansas really doesn't have – they have a forced rivalry with Missouri and they hate LSU, but LSU really doesn't care about them even yeah. though they play for a boot trophy. So Arkansas fans are going to feel like, oh – this is going to be our one real legitimate rival, Oklahoma. But and I mean, OU fans like, will be like, it. eh, no thanks. I don't know. Think about it. Like, that could be the new OU Nebraska. It really could be. <sighs> Arkansas needs a legit rivalry. Yeah. It it's going to be, be a tough sell for OU fans, though, because OU fans do not look at Arkansas as, as equal, you know? That's, that's fair. I yeah. understand that. But they don't look at Oklahoma State as equal. Right? <laughs> and a lot of them don't call it a rivalry. Okay, right? well. Air Cover Solutions text line. We'll get to that coming up next. 651-3439. More coming up next on Locked In.
Locked in with McComas and Thune, and I'll tell you who's not a simple man right now. And I'm only bringing this up because I want Parker to roll his eyes a little bit. That's right. Arch Manning has added two more schools to his recruitment. I did well, get an you eye succeeded. roll there from Parker. You succeeded. There was a report out, by the way, that uh, he's down to two schools, Alabama and Texas, and uh, his daddy, Cooper, saying that that is not true. So, apparently, Arch will visit Florida and LSU. It is believed that Bama, Georgia, Ole Miss, Texas, Florida, and LSU will be the final six for old Arch Manning. Eli, his uncle, maybe you've heard of him, also says that uh, he is not being pressured to go to Ole Miss, which... I do not find shocking. I have a hard time believing that the Manning family wants Arch to go play for Lane Kiffin. I just don't really feel like uh, that family would think that that relationship would be all that great of a fit. Just a just a hunch. Yeah, just a feel. you know, um, that's a thought. I I refuse to comment on this situation any further. So uh, with that, yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. Mm. Yeah. I'm just, oh, man, I can't imagine being one of the beat reporters that has to cover that recruitment for any of those six schools down the stretch here. Because first it was, oh, he's going to make a decision by spring. And then it was, oh, he's going to make a decision over the summer. And now it's, oh, he's going to make a decision sometime in the early fall. We're gonna be at early signing day, and that's still that dude will still be. Oh, uh, it'll be it'll be uh, one year from now. It'll, it'll be March of next year before we uh, finally <laughs> get an announcement. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it at all. The timeline keeps being pushed back. Teams continue to be added. Uh, yeah, you from the get go was saying that this was gonna be eye roll worthy, and uh, it continues to to be so. Yeah, OU fans should thank their lucky stars for Jackson Arnold. I know I have because that made my life so much easier. What do we got on the Air Comfort Solutions text line? 651-3439, by the way. Uh, Brett from Mustang says, not shade, just facts, followed by a bunch of question marks. Winners care about winning, and losers will care about everything other than winning. Yeah, Mackenzie Milton said, not shade, just facts, and you know, saying all that he said, which it is ironic that he left Orlando in this great place to go to Tallahassee, Florida, and the dumpster fire that the Florida State football program is right now. So it's McKenzie, bro, you're having a, I'm, I'm having a tough time selling me on this place when you left to go to the panhandle of the state. Just saying. Another listener says, if weather and nightlife were the end-all be-all, maybe UCLA would have more than zero national championships. Miami has been dreadful for a decade plus. The weather is nice in Austin, and there are a million things to do, yet how could OU ever out-recruit Florida or USC or Miami? Who'd ever want to live in Tuscaloosa? I'm from Oklahoma and live in the baller, rich suburbs of New Jersey now. Lived in Brooklyn for five years. It was great. Guess what? I'd move back to Norman in a New York minute if the opportunity presented itself. It is by far my favorite place I've ever lived. To hate on it is to manifest laughable ignorance. Yeah, you threw out some great examples. Austin, Texas. Whoa, God, Austin's a great time. What kid wouldn't want to go there? Well, they get kids and they still suck. Miami, what kid wouldn't want to go there? Uh, That's the recruiting pitch that they have at the U, right? Um, not winning games. Same with UCLA. You didn't mention USC, but throw them in there in the past decade as well. Like, I hear f- from so many people who have moved from all corners of the country to Oklahoma and swear by how nice the people are and how great it is. It's just a take from someone that's never even visited here before. So, though uh, I am agitated by it, I will not take it all that seriously. 
One listener asks, I thought Muleshoe was the great QB whisperer. Why doesn't Arch want to go to him? Uh, look, yeah, I can't. Malachi. Yeah, well, I, exactly. That, and I can't comment too much on the situation because I don't know all of the nuances of it. Here's what I do know. Muleshoe never wanted Arch Manning. He never offered like, him. Arch Manning wanted to get Muleshoe's. Like, he wanted to be recruited by Muleshoe. Muleshoe did not want to recruit Arch Manning. I don't know why that is. Maybe the whole Malachi Nelson thing was coming together behind the scenes far sooner than any of us expected. But as early as like a year and a half before he left OU, Muleshoe had the Mannings on his phone line trying to get him to recruit their uh, their child prodigy. And he didn't do it. He didn't want to do it. That had to be a nice little ego hit for that family, right? That the head coach at Oklahoma didn't even really want to explore that option. He had Malachi there, so, I mean, he, he didn't feel like he had to, but y- you got to know, man, even though they can go probably anywhere else in the country, not getting that OU offer and OU not uh, acting really all that interested at all, that was that was an ego hit to that family for sure. 100% it was an ego hit. Yeah, well, when your kid's the number one prospect in the country, I, I don't know how much damage an ego hit does because – you got a zillion other people around you that are there to stroke the ego. So, no, well, that's true. He's he's got a lot going on with that, right? I still hope he goes to the University of Texas because oh, that'd be fantastic. Uh, it, Texas has definitely had some quarterbacks in the past that have been easy to hate, but having Manning on the back of a Texas jersey, even though I think that both Eli and Peyton are hilarious, especially Peyton. Like, I I don't I don't I don't hate Peyton or Eli. But there is something that comes with that Manning name. OU Texas would be a lot of fun with a Manning uh, playing quarterback over there, especially if you go three and zero against that guy while he's in Austin. Imagine, imagine a world in which Quinn Ewers is succeeded by Arch Manning, and neither of them ever beat Oklahoma. That that could be that could be a situation. Now Texas does uh, play like crap for eleven games out of the year, but they're going to play their best game against Oklahoma. So. We do have to factor in about five close games during that time span. Another listener says, I was a military brat and have lived all over the world. I love Oklahoma and will live here the rest of my life. You could not pay me enough to live in Florida. Yeah, and that's fine. Hey, Mackenzie Milton, keep telling, keep telling everyone that the Midwest sucks, that Oklahoma sucks. That's great. I don't want to be the new Austin and everyone from all over the coast are flocking to this area. No, one of the reasons why it's so great is because it isn't so massively overcrowded and there's not traffic from everywhere and there's not Californians flooding in here left and right. Let it be. Let it be a secret. I hope everyone nationally continues to hammer it <laughs> so no one wants to move here like they're doing Austin. That's the That's one fine. thing. I've only been to Miami once uh, to, cover, to cover the Orange Bowl. Same. And the thing that struck me the most was, and I guess it's kind of natural because that's as far south in the Florida panhandle as you can go. But, man, like, there is traffic all the time. Like, standstill traffic. I remember driving somewhere at 1.30 in the morning in Miami, and there was, and the freeway was backed up. Because everybody's coming and going from one direction. You having a good time in Miami at 1.30 in the morning? I was actually editing a uh, uh, well, pre-editing. <laughs> Not as exciting as <laughs> back I in my uh, Back in my uh, television broadcasting days. I have, uh, a- I have contended that I think Miami is the worst sports city in America. Really? Yeah. Um, when the Heat were really good, 
Remember, was it that game six against the Spurs and people were filing out of that place in the NBA Finals with like two minutes left? Ray Allen hits that three and people are trying to come back in. Does it seem like the Dolphins uh, ever have a great following there or great attendance? Like, there's a lot to do in Miami, and I understand that. The Marlins, like, no one ever goes to their games. They have a club out there in left field, the Clevelander, I think is what it is. Like, the fan participation, like, people that go to games, how much they care about it. I was at the Orange Bowl in uh, 05, the 04 season, and you had no idea that the national championship game between OU and USC was taking place that day. There's just no feel as a sports town whatsoever. And for as many pro entities as they have there, and, I mean, a, a really successful college football program in Miami that gets terrible attendance, I, it's the worst sports city in my mind. Yeah, one listener points out, FYI, the panhandle of Florida is Pensacola and Panama City. Yes, that was a slip of the tongue. Tallahassee's close enough um, to the pan. It's close. Uh, okay, couple other observations via the Air Comfort Solutions text line, or a couple other thoughts, I suppose. One listener says, I take Neil Patrick Harris as the next random celebrity to knock OU slash Norman. It would be legend. <laughs> wait for it. Dairy. I like that. Uh, and one other listener says, an OC that we fired was too good of a head coach for UCF. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He went to Knoxville, Tennessee and left Orlando. Hey, how about Scott Frost? Guy, are you guys bitter down there in Orlando? Scott Frost left Orlando for Lincoln, Nebraska. All right? So I guess that the they're really I, – I, we understand the point now. They're really bitter towards the Midwest now and this area of the country because they take the best things going on at UCF. I, I, we understand it now. It's, it's all clear to us. Scott Frost was a guy who should have stayed at UCF. For his own good. Like, they, they have a legitimate argument there. Like, Scott Frost is a lot worse off at Nebraska than he would have been at UCF. That's that's true. Um, he did have the chance to get the Florida job, I think, out of UCF, right? And he picked the Nebraska that's job right. over Florida. I forgot about that. Mm, maybe not the best decision ever there for Scott Frost. Man. Florida, well, I guess Florida didn't really dodge a bullet because they probably would have fired Frost after four seasons and ended up with Billy Napier anyway. Yeah, but. probably so. But um, at least when Scott Frost got embarrassed in the Cotton Bowl, he wouldn't have said, oh, I mean, we played our last game a month ago. At least he wouldn't have embarrassed the entire integrity of the program. <laughs> well, they wouldn't have been in the out. Cotton Bowl in the first place. <laughs> that See, that's probably accurate as well. All right, more of your text coming up next on the other side. We'll recap this OU men's basketball game from last night. And Yes, we all know that this team needs more scores. Well, are more scores coming in with this next recruiting class? We'll talk about that as well on the other side. Locked in with McComas and Thune right here on The Ref.
Chapel Supply, bringing you this hour of Locked In with McComas and Thune. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune inside the Brown O'Haver Studios on this Wednesday. Chapel supplies you with the tools to tackle any power washing job, residential or commercial. They can also service all brands of power washers. And hey, if you're looking for a new career, apply online today at chapelsupply.com. Chapel Supply, Chapel Supplies You. Tough loss last night for the OU basketball team. Um, Parker actually earned an unfollow by Toby Rowland last night. I know. I heard you talking about that earlier. I, I, I didn't think my tweet was all that incendiary, but to, to each his own, I suppose. Toby gets upset sometimes about um, negative reactions to things. I understand. I, he... I, I was upset with that shot selection. <laughs> I, 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 You know what? I'll say that. I really enjoyed uh, Toby's film breakdown of the final play on Twitter today. Did you see that? It was I about haven't a... gotten the chance, so I watched it, but I couldn't watch it with volume yeah. because I was sitting here. Yeah, so. it was about a two-and-a-half-minute video, and he was kind of breaking down of what they wanted on the play and, yeah, he basically said in it that Shagwall, if you drive to the basket, probably at the very least you get fouled on that play and you're trying to win the game from the free throw line. But yep. they got an open shot, but, I, 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 yeah, I think it's fair to say that that's not the guy that you want uh, shooting it that far away from the basket. So, unfortunately, OU falls. They just they, they need a score, man. They, they need a guy in that late-game situation that you can give the rock to. So, tell us is help on the way at the guard position. Uh, help is on the way. I mean, you're bringing in Otega Uwe and Milos Uzan next year. A couple of really, really talented Two four-stars. Yeah, those are going to be high-impact guys for Oklahoma. But, man, I- imagine if Austin Reeves had run it back for one more year. Because you know in that situation, like, you're just giving the ball to Austin Reeves, you're putting him on an ISO, and you're letting him cook. Sure. Oh, yeah, he's definitely taking like, If you put – with as many late-game losses as Oklahoma has had, I legit think that if you put Austin Reeves back on this team, they're sitting at 20 wins right now. Uwe, by the way, is the number 66 overall player in the 24-7 sports rankings, number seven at his position. He's a shooting guard. Uh, then you got the point guard coming in. He's a four star as well. So you got two guards coming in. Um, I'm going to guess that they're they add someone via the transfer portal. I'm going to guess that that's going to happen. And the transfer portal, much like college football, is very active in the off season. But I would like to see one of these guys, as would Porter Moser. I'm sure that that's what his hope is. Is that one of these guys is a developmental player in your program that? you can count on for the next three to four years of being a force offensively because, again, I said it a million times, say it again, it's it's what they need right now, and they, and they need it bad. Well, and I think the tough thing when you're somebody in Porter Moser's position at the University of Oklahoma, right, when you are somewhere like Kentucky or Duke, for instance, you can rely every year on five-star talent coming in, staying for one year, and you know it's not going to hurt you because you've got more five-stars right on those guys' heels. So you can run the one-and-done type of uh, – you can have that type of approach with your basketball team in terms of recruiting. At, at a place like Oklahoma, you need guys who are going to be content to spend three, four, even five years playing college basketball. And so – Say a guy like Uwe or a guy like Milos Uzan really blows up. The tough thing about that is going to be if he goes and averages 25 points and five assists per game, the tough thing is a year or two down the line, if he's ready to make the jump to the NBA, 
know, you're going to be in a type of situation where you're a bit more compromised if you lose a talent like that from one year to the next. Like you Trey Young, be- right? Exactly. Yeah, no one really thought going into the year he was going to be a one-and-done guy, and he ended up being just that. And you, and you weren't planning on that being the case. You were exactly. thinking probably too. Exactly, and that's why you saw Oklahoma have the down season in the immediate aftermath of Trey Young's departure. And so, for me, that's going to be the biggest question mark surrounding this basketball team is I don't think it's a question of developing talent. I don't think it's a question of Porter Moser being the right guy uh, in terms of his ability to coach these guys up and to scheme. It's a matter of where is the star power going to come from and are you going to be able to convince that star power to stick around longer than a year? Yeah, and that's that's the biggest key for any college basketball coach out there. It's like, duh, yeah, you you got to get legitimate talent in there. That's the case for any college sport out there. You got to get guys in there. But I we're all frustrated right now about last night and how the basketball season has gone up to this point. That's totally understandable. But what you can't take away from what we've seen in this program right now, this team plays hard. They play extremely hard. And I don't think that they back down to anyone. I think that they show a lot of toughness. Their issues are they're just not nearly talented enough. And again, like that's the biggest hurdle on if Porter Mosier's going to ever be able to accomplish and get over the hump and get to another Final Four here. He's got to bring in legitimate talent. But what I'm saying is, even in a year like this year, I'm seeing that this program is being built, it's being ran the right way. And when it does finally get talent with how tough they play, the fact that they don't bow down to anyone. Um, I think they play really hard on a night-in, night-out basis. I think the structure of the program's there. They just got to have that elite talent to push them over the top. So all in that to say, I, I still feel really I still feel really good about this hire, and I think it's really going to pay off here in the future. It will. And Porter Moser is no question the right guy for this job. And you've seen it, right? This is the best 14-12 and 12 team in America. They should not be 14-12. and 12. So many of these games could have gone the other direction, and yet the fulcrum swung on one play or one shot, and you change just a couple of things here and there, and Oklahoma is that 20-win team that we were talking about. So that's why, at this point in time, Oklahoma is still a top-40 team in terms of NET. That's why they're still on the right side of the bubble, according to Mr. Bracketology, Joe Lenardi, despite that 14-12 and 12 record. This is a team that can still make some noise in March if they get there, but they got to start turning some of those close losses into wins if they're going to solidify their status as a tournament team. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm looking right now for other 14 and 12 teams. Mississippi State is 14 and 10. That's the closest that I've found so far, but I'm going to find a 14 and 12 team and hold you to that, okay? I'll expand. They're the best 14 win team in the nation. How's that? You, they would beat Mississippi State. Yes. You are confident? Yes. They would beat Washington State. Yes. Washington State's also 14-10. and 10. Okay. Well, hopefully they're not seeing those teams in the NIT here in about a month <laughs> or so. All right. I mean, uh, they, they got to win about four more games probably to get to the NCAA tournament, and that might mean winning in Ames on Saturday I, against Iowa State. Yeah, man. that's – again, I, I, I don't <laughs> think that game is a – must win I really don't I know a lot of people will consider it a must win because I think if you look at the stretch that Oklahoma closes the regular season with I think at this point as long as you win those final three games and get a win in the Big 12 tournament like to me you win the final three games you're in although there would be some debate 
I think if you win those three games and you get a win in the Big 12 tournament, that ends the debate. You're locked in. they got to do a better job at closing out games, though. Um, I mean, what a difference. You had a chance to win the game last night. You had a chance to tie the game at Kansas or win it with a three, and that's that's how small the margin is right now for this basketball yeah. team, right? Like, what's the – I mean, you can play the what-if game with any team in America. I understand that. But looking at the past two games, what's the narrative around OU right now if, God, they just get – one of those shots to fall in one of those two games. That's it's the razor's edge, man. That's the razor's edge. And you talk about the fact, and here's what makes me so optimistic about this basketball team down the stretch is you look at what they did in Fog Allen Fieldhouse against Kansas, giving them all they could handle, and particularly given all they could handle over the final 40 seconds of that contest when it looked for a brief moment as though Kansas was going to stretch that to a double-digit lead and run away there at the end. The Sooners fought back and came one shot away from – Getting or from sending it to overtime or from winning. Same thing at the Ferrell Center against then number one Baylor. They were a couple shots away from winning that basketball game. Yeah, And so it's not as if this team can't hang with the big boys. They played with Auburn for quite a while there, too. I saw a uh, funny tweet. I-, I don't think he meant it to be funny. And, I-, I mean, I think it's right. It was just like, yeah, that sounds right. It was our buddy uh, Kurt in Tulsa. He was saying, well, past two games, I'm paraphrasing here quite a bit, past two games – OU's had last-second shots. Uh, the one that they needed to shoot a three, they shot a two. And the one that they needed to shoot a two, they shot a three. Yeah. <laughs> well played, Kurt. Well played. He's not lying. He's not lying. All right, uh, we'll hit more of your texts coming up next. Air Comfort Solutions text line 651-3439. Final segment of Locked In coming up next.
Final segment locked in with McComas and Thune right here on The Ref. We are the home of Sooner fans. How was Red Panda last night, by the way? So I actually wasn't in venue last night. You Oh, man, no. the one game you should have been at. I know. But that's the answer to our uh, social media question, The Ref on Twitter. Sooner fans, what's your solution to getting better attendance at OU basketball games? Just have Red Panda out every single halftime show. That should do it, right? But there was a, definitely a variety of answers on our Twitter page today. Everything from win more to blow up the LNC and create a new arena. Some even said, just go play your games at McCaslin Fieldhouse. I, okay, so like that's something that I've brought up time and time again. And I'm not saying OU basketball should move to McCaslin Fieldhouse in a permanent sense or that they should play every game there. But dang, I mean, these non-conference games against Alcorn State, for instance, or these conference games that are going to be more scantily attended, the ones that are, you know, 6 o'clock on Tuesday night tips, why not play those games at McCaslin Fieldhouse? They Pack ex- it out. They experience, they, they kind of experienced with that a little bit about 10 years ago. Um, it was the first ever OU basketball game I officially covered as a uh, real big boy journalist. You okay. know? And they had an exhibition game against UCO in the McCaslin Fieldhouse. And I got to say, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's pretty. Now, there's a lot of UCO fans that you know came out. OU ended up winning handily. But for a, you know, a little bit of a, a, a exhibition game, whatever, it was, yeah, it was pretty fun. If you've been in McCaslin, you know how loud that building can get. You pack it out for a basketball game. That would be a really fun atmosphere. Well, if you're uh, one of those that are hoping for a new arena, uh, just my opinion, I, f- I think you're going to get your wish here in a couple really? of Really? Yeah, I think that's going to happen. Okay. And it needs to happen. It needs to happen. I know Porter Moser wants it to happen. On campus or off? Uh, I would probably bet off campus. Okay. But that is something that we can revisit in the future when maybe a little bit more uh, concrete uh, information is out on there. But I would guess off-campus is probably where that's going to end uh, up. My biggest question is, what becomes of the LNC at that point? Because it's got the Griffin Center attached to it. And that's my that's probably my biggest question about what you do in terms of facilities moving forward is, uh, you, just, you just finished the Griffin Center not too long ago. It is literally attached to the Lloyd Noble Center. And so, if you move away from the Lloyd Noble Center, what do you do with the Griffin Center? you got to leave it there. I mean, obviously, you can't just pick it up and move it to wherever the new uh, facility is. It, I'm guessing that you practice on campus and just bus over there for, for games, right? Uh, maybe. That's probably what you're going to have to do, which it's, it's fine. I'll, if, if that's what needs to happen, then so be it. Or you just give the LNC a facelift. I, don't, I feel like a new arena is going to be the direction that they go. But, again, we'll, we'll see. I feel like we're going to know something for sure here in the next year or so. Uh, before we get out of here, what's on the Air Comfort Solutions text line? Uh, Kendall says, with regard to McCaslin Fieldhouse, at least try it out. Uh, another listener says, Tanner is a bigger threat scoring, and particularly from deep, than Shagwa. Tanner should have been on the floor. Tanner, Tanner wasn't on the floor very much at all no, he late wasn't. in the second half. In, now, in he overtime. went in on like an offense, defense type of possession, maybe late in overtime, but it was they were rolling with Shagwall in, in the game last night. I'll be interested to see what that rotation looks like moving forward. And a, a lot of people that I talked to last night were like, yeah, I prefer this Shagwall over Tanner Groves. Okay, um, all right, we'll see. I, 
even that situation last night wasn't good enough to win the game. Neither of those situations is perfect, so it's probably a, a thing where whoever has the hot hand at that point is going to get the majority of the minutes. Another listener asked, could you talk a little bit about who might be returning next season for OU's basketball team? I assume Tanner, Gibson, and Goldwire will all be gone. Anyone else? I actually don't think Groves and Gibson will leave because you can't imagine either of those guys would be drafted right now. And they have an extra year if they want to use it. They can come back next season. The only guys that are aging out are Goldwire, Marvin Johnson, and Ethan Shagwall. Those are the guys that can't come back. Everybody else can and I think should return. Yeah, um, if it's their decision, I'm not saying that I've heard anything to suggest this. I'm just saying, if it's their decision, I agree with you. But I I wonder, like, as we go down, if all those guys will be told, like, yes, 100%, come back to the team next year. Or if it's, yeah, we're, we're trying to get... We, we're, we're trying to get some new freshmen in. We're trying to get some transfers in. We want to shake it up a bit. Well... I mean, you lose. I would guess that they're ass back. It's just, you know, just yeah, throwing out a point. I, and the, the other reason I would say they're all back is because hey, you may lose a player or two via the portal. You'll probably gain a player or two via the portal in that case. But as of right now, you're bringing in three scholarship players. You're going to lose three scholarship players. So your numbers total out right there. Whatever you lose in the transfer portal, you can replace one for one. John Abrano Haver says, go to the basket, go to the basket, go to the basket. He already has a hat that says run the damn ball. I bet he's about to get a hat that just says go to the basket on the front of it right there. Which is uh, what all OU fans are saying after last night's basketball game, no doubt. You are, realize they didn't miss a shot in overtime until the very last yeah, Texas, one either? I know, yeah, OU didn't no, get a stop. No, OU. Well, t- Tex- they didn't get a stop until like really late in overtime, yeah, too, right? Yeah, they, they, they went back and forth scoring on each Jeez. other. Texas right. got the offensive rebounds. OU That'll did. do it for us. The rush is coming up next right here. Keep it locked in on the homeless Sooner fans. We're the ref.